0: Welcome to the series Revelation, the Second Coming, with your host, Father Alfred McBride. This series explains the imagery found in the book of Revelation and brings encouragement to the faithful. Now, join Father McBride as he presents this episode of Revelation, the Second Coming. In our last program, we were looking at the but you might almost call it hell on earth all the evils that come about because of the opening of the seven seals so this program will begin on a little brighter and happier note with a little bit of heaven which is exactly how saint john himself uh, orchestrated the apocalypse In other words, he never plunged too deeply into the negative, into the toothache, as I use as an example. I use the example that when you have a toothache, the whole body feels bad, even though actually the rest of the body is not all that badly off, necessarily. So um, it's a matter of, you know, getting balance. So I'd like to begin with a small story about a little bit of heaven rather than a little bit of hell, uh, which we have been looking at in the Seven Seals. This is a story about uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta and a speech that she was planning to give in New York City. It was a very dark and stormy night and it was cold and rainy and she and another sister were being driven in a limo to this large luxury hotel downtown manhattan where she was going to talk to a thousand people about her message and her about her ministry so anyway when they arrived near the hotel she saw all kinds of people out in front and she thought she didn't want to go through that so she said to the driver why not go around behind the hotel and i will take the back entrance in which is more private so they went around to the rear of the building into the alley and all along the alley were um the homeless and the homeless had built um cardboard protectors or little cardboard shelters to keep them from the cold and the rain Mother Teresa, when she got out of the car, was always, of course, her first love is the poorest of the poor and the homeless. So before going into the hotel, she said, I'm going to make a visit to each of these people, which she did. But when she came to the last little shelter and looked in, she saw a little old man who was curled up in the fetal position, very cold and very lonely looking. And because she had a practised die she could she could tell when a man is dying and she saw that that's what was wrong with this poor fellow so she said to the sister companion let's pick him up and put him in the limousine which they did and then they got in right after him and told the driver to take them back to the convent because they had to look after this man and of course they didn't go in to give the speech So, Mother stayed up all night with this dying man. She was like a Madonna to him. She comforted him, rubbed his hands so that some heat would get back in, fed him some warm soup. Uh, She whispered some prayers into his ears. She told him that God loved him, that Jesus loves him. And when dawn arrived, the man was very much at peace, and he just leaned back. And he died, almost died like in like a pieta in the Madonna's arms. And Mother Teresa said to God, Please, dear God, take this dear man into heaven and give him the love that was denied to him on earth. Well, she never gave that talk. And yet, when you think about it, she did give the talk because in a sense I'm giving it now, her talk was her behavior. It was her witness, her love, her charity. She was marked with the sign of the redeemed, and she marked this man with the sign of the cross before he went off, we hope, to heaven. So, uh, it's with that story of Teresa giving us a, um, just an, a hint an insight into the presence of God and the kingdom of God on earth that I turn now to chapter 7 and 8 of the Apocalypse, which I hope you've been able to read. These next chapters that follow the chapter 6, which is on the opening of the seven seals of the Apocalypse. The... um, we were saying that as we look through those six seals which were all catastrophes and you know the various problems which we'll review in a moment at the last uh, at the very end of uh, chapter six the um, the question is presented uh... from the church uh... the seven churches that john was ministering to the um, question is at the very end who can stand you see, you see, who can stand? Who will survive all of this? The answer now is given here at the end. Let's see, fallen us, people cried out, fallen us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Who can stand? Who can endure it? Well, the answer is those who are marked with the sign of Jesus Christ. As I said, Mother Teresa sent that poor little old gentleman off to God, and she put on his forehead the sign of the cross, marked him with the sign of Christ. Signs are very important. Uh, Sometimes people think signs are superficial and really are not important, but they are very significant. Every culture and religion possesses symbols of ownership and authority, and even today we notarize documents with, an, with the embossed seal. Logos and seals and signs are everywhere. For example, at the Olympics. If I say Olympics, what do you think of in your imagination? Can you see those five circles all intertwined? That's the seal, the sign of the Olympics. Or, Think of NBC. Just then think of this beautiful peacock with all the colors, the bird unfolding its colors. Think of Metro-Goldwyn-Mare, MGM. What do you see coming out of the screen? The lion, the lion roaring. Or think of our flag, the stars and stripes, a seal. We are marked and signed as Americans with the flag communism use the hammer and the sickle now religion has its recognized signs as well what are we sealed with well if you think of the Jews what is their religious sign it's the star of David what about the Muslims what is their sign it is a crescent moon and what about religion Christians of course for us It is the sign of the cross. All of these signs, the peacock says, I belong to NBC. The five rings say, I belong to the Olympics, you see. Um, The keystone says, I belong to Chevrolet, and so on and on. The cross says, I belong to Jesus. The star of David says, I belong to Moses and God of Moses. The crescent moon says, I belong to Allah. Signs are important. A seal is a sign of belonging. Tragically, for those in the Holocaust, those of you as I have done, very sadly I have met some of the Holocaust victims, those who survived, and all of them, the death camp victims, will have a tattoo on their wrist. They will always have the memory of having been in a death camp that tragic that terrible moment uh, for particularly for the Jewish community of the 20th century the tattooed numbers a sign they are marked in this case they were marked for doom in many cases the dress uniform of a marine is a sign The Roman collar of a priest is a sign. The um, what I'm wearing here, my Norbertine habit. This is not a Dominican habit. This is a Norbertine habit. We were in existence a hundred years before the Dominicans, our good and friendly and loving cousins. This is the sign of my Norbertine community. It's a sign. The Roman collar of a priest, the veil of a nun the habit of the sisters of of uh, mother angelica the poor clares all right now i'm fussing a little about signs and seals because in chapter 6 we had seals which were bad in this chapter 7 we have seals which are good and actually most of this the little signs i've just been describing to you they are good signs they were not except for the, um, the Holocaust sign, which was a tragic one. That would be more like the seal of chapter 6. But here, we are dealing with uh, a sign which ties us to Christ. And it means that we can stand up to the evils of the seven seals of chapter 6, those wars, famines, and natural catastrophes, ethnic strife, We will be able to stand up to that if we are sealed with the sign of the Living God and so verse uh, 7 pardon me chapter 7 verse 3 says put upon them the seal of the Living God on the servants of God on their forehead the angel is saying this that is the chief angel now in baptism You and I were sealed with oil. That's the first time we received the sign that would give us the grace to withstand the evils of the world. In confirmation, you remember what the bishop said to you? Can you recall when he put the sign of the cross on your head and did it with oil? What does he say to your children when he confirms them? What is the language of the church? be sealed with the Holy Spirit. Put the mark of the living God on the forehead of the believer. And that will enable them, not just the sign, but the grace that the sign points to and produces. That will enable them to withstand the evils that are inevitable in every day's in everyone's life. So in confirmation, the redeemed are again sealed by oil. Now, unsealing the scrolls in the liturgy of the Word and sealing foreheads is the liturgy of the sacrament. Let me say that again. This gets a little confusing at times. Unsealing usually means preaching the homily. So, in the liturgy of the Word, we open the Bible, we unseal it, opening the book, and then we unseal the text. We try to explain what God is trying to say to us in the words which we read in Scripture. So, in the Liturgy of the Word, we unseal the book. But in the Liturgy of the Sacrament, we are sealed with the sign of the Living God. Now, some people um, don't particularly understand what a sacrament is. Uh, many of these signs that I described earlier in my talk. Are just signs. So, for example, um, The Lion isn't Metro Golden, their movie company. It points to the company. It says, that's the company we stand for. Um, all right. That is um, one way to look at it. But in sacraments, we. We do more than point to things. For example, when I was coming here to uh, EWTN, we come up a highway and it says this way to uh, Irondale, this way to where EWTN is. The sign that points us to EWTN is not the company, but the bread and wine that becomes the body and blood of Christ in the Mass, the oil that's put on my forehead at confirmation is not a sign that says, Well, out there is the Holy Spirit um, and he will come. But know that in the very signing by the bishop, in the context of the sacrament, I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. Sacramental signs do point, there's no doubt about it, they point to the work of God, but secondly they uh contain what the Word of God and the act of Christ is all about, and they produce effectively within me what they say. So we say that sacraments are effective signs. That is, they produce what they signify. Well, then the next uh, question is, uh, and brought up in the, uh, in the apocalypse of this chapter, here they talk about who is signed. You say, who can stand? Those who are signed with the, with the seal of the living God. And a um, very interesting commentary here. It says, A hundred and forty-four thousand of men and women from every nation, people, and tongue, they are the ones that are sealed. Now, a hundred and forty-four thousand is not a, uh, a literal number. It's a symbolic number. For one thing, it is a multiple of 12 times 12. In other words, the apocalypse is not saying, well, there's only going to be a hundred and forty-four thousand saved. That's not what's being taught. What is being taught is that a lot of people are going to be saved. It's not saying everyone will go to heaven, but it will say, quite a few, a large number. Uh, in fact, uh, in the poetry of Apocalypse, it says uh, 144,000, and then the next line, a great multitude, lots. That's all that it means. You see, poetry in Scripture is different from our kind of poetry, particularly our simpler poetry. Um, In our poetry, we rhyme words. Let me see if I can think of the examples. Well, you know, I I have a quest that calls me in nights when I'm alone. The need to ride where the ways divide the known from the unknown. Notice that now. The need to ride where the ways divide the known from the unknown. I mount what thought is near me. Soon I come to the place, the tenuous rim. Where the scene grows dim, rim and dim, and the sightless hides his face. I have set my feet in the stirrup seat of the comet coursing Mars, and everywhere, through light and air, air, no, to where and air, rhymed again words. My thought flies lightning-shod, till it comes to the place where checking pace, it cries, beyond lies God. Lightning shone, gone. It's about a scientist contemplating the universe and coming to an uh, coming to a belief in God. Well, that was just a little aside here to show that our kind of poetry rhymes words and sounds, but in the Bible, the poetry is the rhyming of ideas. So, for example, when you read the Psalms, have you ever noticed? Um, Oh God, you are my God, for you I long. For you my soul is pining, like a dry land uh, without water. Notice what the, the poetry there is. Oh, oh my God, you are my God, for you I long. That's one idea. Then the, the idea is repeated. like a dry, Like a dry weary land without water. In other words, I long and I'm like land that thirsts for water. That's the poetry. The idea is repeated after the first line. It's repeated again in the second line, of course, in a different way. Now, that's a very uh, lengthy way of just saying what I want to say here is that the 144,000 are a great multitude, but the way it's done is poetically and behold i saw a great multitude of a hundred and forty four thousand and it was they who were marked with the sign of the lamb so a fullness number is not a literal number that's the principle we take seven for example is simply a fullness number three is a fullness number four is the four ends of the earth we say the four corners of the earth there aren't four corners of the earth But it makes we sound we we more or less think there is. It makes us think of the whole earth. All right, there is a great multitude no one can number. That's what the text says. So we know they're not really talking literally. Now the saved from all nations from the time of John who writes this book till the end of time. That's who the 144,000 are, and it's due to the work of the Great Commission. So if we read uh, Matthew chapter 28, which is about Christ on the Mount of Olives sending the apostles out to convert the world, go forth and uh, teach all nations, uh, asking them to observe everything I have commanded you, and baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So, what we're getting at here is evangelization from the time of John till the end of time. We know that Pope John Paul II, in thinking of the third millennium, in that wonderful little book of his on the third millennium, in Latin I think it's tertio Adventi millennio, fine little pamphlet, and he's talking about, well, what do I want you to do in the third millennium? You'll find the Pope is is not talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the beginning of yet another effort at evangelization. He said it's time to start over. We have millions and millions of people to sign with the mark of Christ. And these people will be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now, when you think of blood, what do you think of? If you're like me, you will think of death like someone says I faint at the sight of blood blood usually when it's seen frightens many people It makes them think of dying but actually blood in the Bible is usually the sign of life now it does have death connotations but blood in Scripture is about life Uh, blood made biblical people think of life the blood of Christ the blood of the Lamb I want to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. The Eucharist includes Christ's blood, which gives us life. Well, all of the saved, the 144,000, wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. It's very paradoxical. And their robes become white, just like my white habit here. It's as though I'm... You know, visually illustrating, I like to think that, that this was washed in the blood of the Lamb in, in a symbolic sense, of course. Moral and spiritual renewal is what we're talking about. It's not just the kind of a, a physical washing in, in actual blood. Well, we're speaking here of moral and spiritual renewal and sacramental realities. The coming of the Kingdom of Christ into our lives. So, it's because of that experience of being renewed, protected, and strengthened by the sacraments that we can stand. Remember the end of the other chapter? Who can stand in the middle of all the sufferings of life? Who can stand amid the pain? If you've been marked by Christ in the sacraments, sealed by the Holy Spirit, you can stand. You will be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And then they sing. Notice they're singing again in the Apocalypse. Might have all that gloom and doom, but they do a lot of singing, a lot of exaltation. In the Bible, the people sing in the desert. They sing in the storm. They sing in prison. And they sing at night. And what do they sing? Salvation comes from our God and the Lamb. Blessing, honor, glory, and thanksgiving. Power and might be to our God forever and ever. Salvation comes from the Lord our God. You can hear that sung in every monastery and church in the world, all around the world, the Liturgy of the Hours, the Song of God being sung. And then that wonderful, put that down in your notebook, chapter 7, verse 17. Um,